and welcome back to State of Mind with me, Grace Kingswell. Today's episode is on thyroid health and my guest is the sensational Tanya Borowski. Tanya is a functional medicine certified practitioner and her list of accolades and qualifications is as long as my arm when it comes to health, nutrition and in particular thyroid health. She's completed advanced Hashimoto's and thyroid training with the world-renowned Dr. Datis Karazian, who let's be honest, if you're a nutritional therapist, you probably have a knowledge crush on, I certainly do, and is honestly the best person I could think of to come on the podcast and talk about thyroid. I am so grateful to her for joining me as a guest. Tanya has a way of making the complicated understandable, and we've endeavoured to condense a hugely complex topic into an episode that you'll likely want to come back to time and time again. In particular, we cover what the thyroid gland is, why it's so crucial for optimum health across all body systems, what nutrients it needs from diet to work well, what signs and symptoms to look out for with an underactive or overactive situation, autoimmunity of the thyroid, in particular Hashimoto's and Graves' disease, and why it's so common and so much more. Go and find Tanya at T-A-N-Y-A B-R-O-W-S-K-I. I'm obsessed with her Instagram, actually. And please leave a five-star review on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Okay, on with the episode. Amazing, and I'm live with Tanya. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Uh, somewhat cooler than the last few days. Um, yes, but- I do love the heat, so but yeah, the last few days have been a little bit extreme. I quite like it too. People, because I'm heavily pregnant, people have been very worried that I'm not okay. And actually, Aww. I've just been, I've just been loving the heat. I'm happy, happy as Larry. <laughs> um, so I'm really happy we're doing this. It's, it's been. Um, in the diary for a while and yes. a, to- a topic that I think is going to be super useful for so many people. So we're going to talk about thyroid today, but to begin with, just give us a little intro to who you are and what you do. Absolutely. Uh, well, firstly, thank you very much for having me. It's um, absolutely thrilled to be here um, and joining your amazing podcast with uh, which you have a stellar lineup of all of the individuals that have been on before. So thank you. Um, so yes, my name, I'm Tanya Borowski, and I am a nutritional therapist by trade initially. And I uh, trained 15 years ago and sort of went into clinical practice. And I sort of quite quickly began to realise that this was just the beginning of a journey of helping individuals with their health. And I was so hungry for more knowledge and to delve deeper into sort of biochemistry and really understand the interconnectedness of all of these different systems and hormones uh, that make our body run efficiently. And so at that time, the Institute of Functional Medicine was just launching their inaugural uh, Applying Functional Medicine in Clinical Practice course in the UK. So I uh, rushed to the bank manager, took out a bank loan. And uh, that was the beginning of the journey, which was, I guess, seven years ago now of um, of a more in-depth look at the human body. So went through the entire qualification system, uh, which was no mean feat. And uh, and then really began to specialise and hone in on 
end the endocrine system and having that as if you like as the, the the central part of sort of my my clinical practice and with and within the endocrine system and let's just call and let's call that hormones uh, the thyroid is very is very much sort of central to that and 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 many many women have consulted with me over the years to for help with a whole array of symptoms and they come to me saying it's my hormones but not really completely understandably knowing why they think that um and mm. i think it's very much it's very much sort of uh, a term that is that is that is used oh it's just your hormones for a whole array of different symptoms and i over the years began to realize that the thyroid gland was a very vulnerable gland uh for autoimmune attack and but was very poorly diagnosed and that's sort of it's certainly not and so it became a particular area of interest to me within the whole uh, interconnected web of the human body and and women's health and women's hormones. Amazing. You've touched on one of my questions there so we may as well delve into that. Okay. Why, why is the thyroid um, so vulnerable? You know it's it's when we think about autoimmunity, it's one of the, as you say, the big ones that is really, really common. Um, why does that tend to be? Um, it is a very, the thought process, the thought, the thinking is it's a, it's a very vascular tissue. So, um, and it's, so it's very, it, it's, yeah, that's how I describe it. It's a very vascular tissue. So, and it's very high in proteins basically when the immune system uh creates antibodies to attack self tissue that's actually what an autoimmune condition is it's when the immune system betrays you essentially and mm -hmm. it inadvertently tags uh, by way of creating an antibody and you could think of that like a little flag that's being stuck into uh, a cell or a tissue to basically flag to other cells of the immune system to attack it. So the antibodies themselves don't do the attack, but what the the generation of those antibodies that that tag the the, the self tissue call in more aggressive immune cells to go after that. Hmm. So to circle back round to your question as to why um, the thyroid is so vulnerable for uh, an autoimmune process is that there are a number of proteins and structures within both the thyroid, but also in the synthesis, the making of thyroid hormone that are, that are, that contain, if you, what are called peptides, which are lines of, of proteins that are, that, that look very similar to either viral antigens um, or bacterial antigens or gluten, for example, the, some of the protein structures in gluten. And an immune system that is confused, i.e. Is, is inflamed, uh, can mistake these particular proteins in a number of these triggers and actually go after the proteins that look very similar within the thyroid gland. Mm -hmm. And those proteins are either thyroglobulin, which is the, the protein that is inside the follicular cells of, of the thyroid, 
um, or very commonly, um, very commonly, an enzyme which is called thyroid peroxidase is another enzyme that actually has that is very that shares a lot of commonalities with a number of these protein structures on on the triggers that I've just mentioned. So that mm. so that is so that's so that's why, and there are some autoimmune conditions that are just more prevalent and they tend to come in close. So thyroid Hashimoto's autoimmunity is is one. It's much more common than the anti than Graves' disease, which is another autoimmune thyroid condition. But uh, auto but Hashimoto's is more common. Um, Pernicious anemia is a is an is another one, and that is where the immune system inadvertently creates antibodies against either the parietal cells, which are in the in the stomach, or intrinsic factor, and that is all around B twelve. Um, celiac disease is is another one, and so those and, and there are hundreds of autoimmune conditions, um, and rheumatoid arthritis sort of would be are is is another one. Mm. Where sort of the, the synovial the synovial joints are are again inadvertently tagged, so there are more common autoimmune conditions. But thyroid Hashimoto's autoimmunity is one of the most prevalent. Yeah. So let's cover off um, the basics with regards to the thyroid hormones. Um, yeah. Instagram was prolific in in questions for this podcast. And oh. Yeah, people had lots of specific ones um, relating to various various thyroid hormones. So let's go through them um, and explain, you know, what each one is doing and and great start okay. there. So, and I'm just I'm sometimes I sort of I speak a little bit slower because I'm just trying to I want to simplify the the inf- the information. So in terms of thyroid hormone. All of our hormones uh, in the body are made by by way of a what it, by by way of what's called a feedback mechanism. We, they don't just suddenly appear in in the bloodstream. Okay, so and the purpose of a hormone is for it to be made, for it to be received, and that receptor and and it has to be received on a specific receptor. So we have thyroid receptors, we have estrogen receptors, we have progesterone receptors, uh, and then and that process of the thyroid hormone once it's been made, which I'll come back to in a moment. Once that docks onto the receptor, um, it then triggers a genomic pathway that sort of activates that cell and tells it what to do. So as it relates to thyroid hormone, the first point is that the receptor for thyroid hormones don't sit on the receptor of the cells, which they do with other hormones like estrogen progesterone. To but outside of the cells. Yeah, they actually, tran- there are very specific transporters uh, which are also vulnerable to genetic vulnerabilities that they don't work very well. There are particular transporters like a bus, if you like, that actually shuttles that thyroid hormone um, from the outside of the cell right into the nucleus of the cell where those thyroid those thyroid receptors are the most active. So that's a really important concept to grasp. And then that feedback 
mechanism of being able to make thyroid hormones starts as it does with all of our hormones um, in the brain. Uh, and it is is governed by this sort of master controller, like the, the, the managing director of a company called the HP axis. So there is an HPT axis, the hypothalamus, the pituitary and the thyroid. And the hypothalamus will sense like a like the managing director what's going on in the environment it will sense the levels of the right levels of thyroid hormone or not and it will send a communication message by way of thyroid releasing hormone to the chief operating officer if you will the pituitary and the pituitary will then sense that and it will say and it will send tsh thyroid stimulating hormone to trigger the thyroid gland to start making more thyroid hormone. And that process within the thyroid gland, which, as I mentioned before, is very vascular, it's made up of hundreds of follicles. So if you imagine the thyroid like a bow tie that sort of sits uh, in the just behind behind the um, in the neck, um, that it is drawing in iodide from the bloodstream all of the time. And there are little uh, symporters that sit on the follicular cell that draw in iodide and it combines with tyrosine that is in that is made within the follicular cell and then there is a whole sort of uh, process of adding on different amounts of that iodide uh, which we commonly know as iodine uh, to make what is called T4 and T3. And T4 has four iodine atoms attached to it, and T3 has three. It does also make T2 and T1, but in the main, it makes about 94% T4 and about 8% T3. And that thyroid hormone is then uh, transported into the bloodstream, and it's bound up in what I call like a little taxi which is called thyroid binding globulin, and it doesn't become active until it's released from that binding globulin once it travels into the in, onto the nucleus of the cell. So T4 is not particularly active. Our most active thyroid hormone is, is T3, and that conversion of T4 into T3 happens inside of the cell. It doesn't happen in the bloodstream. It happens inside of each individual cell um, in the presence of what are called diiodinase enzymes, which is which are again which are nutrient dependent on some key minerals, and so that process happens inside of the cell to allow the most active hormone thyroid to dock onto its receptor and elicit its response. And T three works by think about it like a pair of jump leads. And it's basically you need those jump leads to activate the ATP of that particular cell to tell it what to do. And it uh, needs. And so whether that's a gut cell, a brain cell, a muscle cell, it if there isn't enough and the right levels of T3 around within that cell, then it will then display as very typical hypo low thyroid symptoms constipation, brain fog, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I think one thing to make very crystal clear to listeners that maybe we have, maybe we haven't so far, is that every 
cell in our bodies needs thyroid hormone? Every single cell. So every single cell in the body has receptors for thyroid hormone. There is not a cell that doesn't require it, which is why it is so, I mean, it's, it's, it's vital, but it is so important in, for fertility and in pregnancy and in any, any woman that is going through IVF, it's why the the thyroid hormone is measured. It's it's measured religiously and it's monitored with with the most absolute detail, absolute detail. And it's um, there isn't any waiver on the accepted level in IVF of mm. of of thyroid hormone because the growing fetus and the brain needs re- requires this. Yeah, and you know, for for anyone who is not currently pregnant or trying to conceive, you know, they might um, head off to their GP feeling really, really tired. Like, I'm just fatigued all the time. I'm going to go and see perhaps why that is. Could it be my thyroid? So as you've mentioned, we have TSH, which is not a thyroid hormone proper it's a signaling hormone Correct. and then we have our active our active our active thyroid hormones so the issue then is that we don't routinely test for t3 we test tsh and the you know the feeling is that well if the signaling hormone is is in the right range the right level then it will be doing its job properly and telling everyone else what to do but that leaves so many women and men um, at a loss because they get these results back. TSH is fine. They're told everything is fine, but quite conceivably, it could not be. So why, why, what's going, what's going on there? I think yes, absolutely. It is a very, it is a very frustrating situation, and the NHS is an amazing, amazing resource, and the people that work within it are incredible. Um, but it comes down to a, it basically comes down to cost is that right. yeah it comes down to cost the more that you add to you more that you add to a blood panel then it comes off the bottom line and so so men there is there's an awful lot to unpack there and what you said so articulately and so the first let's 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 address the first thing that you said so fatigue is a very very common tired all the time fatigue is a very common complaint in in our line of work and where people why people visit a, a, a doctor i don't feel myself i feel tired all the time so the beauty of working with somebody who has more time is that you can ask more you can ask more questions and you can ask in an 8 minute session because fatigue and being tired all the time is one sign symptom of possibly having hypothyroidism, low thyroid. Um, but it could very easily be anemia. It could be poor oxygen delivery. It could be not having enough iron not or folate or B12. Mm. Uh, it, it can be a number. It could be um, poor blood sugar regulation, right? So the importance of gathering as much data as you can around their lifestyle, understanding how they're eating, being chronically low in vitamin D can leave someone being tired all the time as well. Mm. Um, but certainly 
if you one starts to hear other signs and symptoms such as impacting their skin, their wound healing, because remember, every single cell in the body needs thyroid hormones. So and that's true of the immune of all of our immune cells. So if our immune cells aren't differentiating and being able to clot properly and being activated in the right way and generate wound healing, then that's a very common sign. Skin will become dry. Hair will start to become loose and sort of and, and, and fall out. Not in big patches. That's more an alopecia type picture. But hair mm-hmm. shedding uh, is, is very common. Losing sort of like the the outer eye, outer edge of the eyebrow is another common sign and symptom. S- slow bowel movements, being bloated. That's because you've got slow peristalsis movement through the gut. And are we so, talking here, Tanya, about hypothyroidism? Yes. Specifically, so these are or? all hy- okay. hypo. But you're too. So what I'm coming back to is then to move on to your question is then why is TSH? sometimes if that is normal and the ranges are more narrow now so when I started practicing a normal thyroid uh, TSH which is the sort of the top line test for an assessment that an NH, that the NH run um, would be normal would be up to six that has now come down to five mm. and so for your listeners you remember I use the word feedback mechanism so basically the higher the TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, it's basically shouting at the thyroid to say, we need more thyroid hormone, make more thyroid hormone. So in a lot of markers, we think that more is better. But actually, in a stimulating hormone, it's about understanding what the name is. If it's stim- it's, if it's if the hormone is, or the mess is, if it's trying to stimulate something, it's shouting to the gland to say, make more of something. So if I start to see a TSH that really is over three, I would then want to look around somewhere else around other markers around a blood chemistry to say to see are there any other indications that this could be thyroid. And the reason also the reason why a TSH can fluctuate are sort of many in that one TSH does fluctuate on a dineural pattern anyway. It is always in everybody, it's higher in the morning anyway. Um, And it drops off as the day goes on. Um, But if there has been a flare in thyroid symptoms, for example, if the thyroid has at that moment in time or 24 hours before been asked to make more thyroid hormone, then there would be a rush of thyroid hormone into the system and that will directly then impact that feedback mechanism. So you might just be catching that individual where their TSH is normal, mm-hmm. um, but actually you're just seeing just a very small moment in time. Mm. Whereas if we measure the active, the T4 and the T3 and we can look at the conversion of T4 to T3, and importantly, we run the antibodies of which are thyroid peroxidase, which is the enzyme that is very vulnerable for autoimmune attack. But it's the enzyme that actually catalyzes, i.e. brings together that tyrosine and the iodine to make mm-hmm. the thyroid hormone or thyroglobulin, which is the protein inside of the follicular cells. 
then if we see that those are raised, then we can start to say, then we know, okay, the body is, is, there is actually an inflammatory process going on. And the TSH may be normal because the body can fight for an awfully long time Mm. and compensate by that by that mechanism very well um and it may be another decade until actually the autoimmunity presents so this is yeah. what we call silent autoimmunity so sorry that was a very long-winded way of asking your answering your question so no i love it so if so if tsh was elevated let's say over 4 but everything else was well within range are we just looking at a as you were saying, uh, uh, something has happened to tell the body to, to call on the body to make more. Yeah, that's a very hormone. normal. Yeah, and um, so if the if the antibodies were negative, but just the TSH was a bit high, four, five, six, seven, but the yeah. T T four T three is is an, an, are in good range, then absolutely, uh, and that has definitely happened to me. Uh, my TSH was sort of up at seven when I was starting my business and I was working ridiculous hours and yeah the because yeah. remember it's the the master controller is the hypothalamus and there are a whole anything that is a stressor to the the master controller it will mm-hmm. impact it will impact all of those regulatory hormones so yeah. you could have a you could have an infection if you have covid your tsh would be all over the place uh if you're stressed if you're losing out on sleep uh, I'm yeah. It, so all coming of those... back to all those lifestyle factors that we know are so crucial, Absolutely. and I guess that's that's why modern life predisposes us to an awful amount of thyroid issues, right? Because we are all chronically stressed, probably a bit tired, probably not eating that well, absolutely, etc., um, etc. Et yeah. So on food, then, what do we need in terms of nutrients from the diet? Um, to have optimal thyroid function. And in particular, if you could touch on uh, two things that the, the, the folk of Instagram are very confused about, um, iodine and yeah. selenium. Absolutely. Lovely. Okay. So the nutrients that the thyroid needs are protein because of the, the tyrosine is, a, is an amino acid, right? So we need, we need protein i'm glad uh, you said that first because most people i know under consume protein <laughs> yes yes and it's so important yes it's okay, really so important protein. and we have to be and i'm in the main a vegetarian um i've dabbled with over but certainly we you have to work hard to get the right levels of protein uh in and the right amino acids to to ensure that you you have that on a 24-hour basis so that's really important then the we need vitamin a and vitamin d we need vitamin a for predominantly for cell membrane integrity of those receptors for and these and those receptors as i indicated are very vulnerable to genetic polymorphisms so if if there is a polymorphism um, on the thyroid receptor then there is a gr- much even greater need for vitamin A. Mm. And um, is beta carotene from plant-based sources enough here, Tanya? Or no. are we needing retinol from retinol, animal foods? Retinol, um, because human beings in general are very, very, very poor converters of, of beta carotene into retinol. So 
the old wives tale of eating carrots help you see in the dark is a bit of a wives tale because we just aren't very good at converting at converting that uh and in all of the genetic profiles that i've run it's i would say it's 90% of of those profiles an individual is a, a poor converters genetically they have a variant on that vitamin d for many reasons again uh, the receptor but also in terms of keeping the immune system stable and allow and and for it to be most receptive and modifying it we need good levels of vitamin d um then we need selenium zinc predominantly those are required for the diiodinase enzymes so all enzymes uh whatever they are need micronutrients so these are vitamins and minerals basically we need in micro doses whereas macronutrients are proteins carbohydrates and fats but all of our enzymes and every single bodily process runs on enzyme enzyme reactions so mm-hmm. these diiodinase enzymes specifically need zinc and um and selenium okay so the other component that is really important is the other peroxidase uh, enzymes and the peroxidase enzymes specific are more hungry for uh, selenium than the diiodinase enzymes and they and, and they use up more and so they are a cofactor for the enzyme that actually mitigates the natural oxidative reaction of making thyroid hormone so that's really important so when we go when we make that thyroid peroxidase when it takes that tyrosine and it adds the iodine atoms it's done by a process called oxidation and it happens it's a completely natural process but it creates a bit of collateral damage and so we have a built-in very efficient antioxidant enzyme called glutathione peroxidase which is selenium dependent which helps to mop up that oxidative damage now if we're low in selenium that selenium will take will be preferentiated by the diiodinases so and we only need i can't remember the exact figures but we need less lower levels of of selenium to 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 keep the diiodinase enzymes working properly but it's at the expense of the peroxidase the 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 glut the peroxidase enzymes so if we're not replete in selenium mm-hmm. then we are going to be gradually chipping away at our antioxidant reserves because there's not enough left to be able to facilitate the peroxidase enzymes to clean up the the natural oxidative damage does that make sense so far Yes, and is there yes to me, but hopefully to the listeners, is there a an upper limit of selenium then? Because if someone is listening to this and thinking, okay, great, I just need to take selenium to sort out my thyroid issues, why might that not necessarily be a good idea? So you don't want to take more than 
you don't want to take more than 200 micrograms of selenium a day. Micrograms on a bottle is, uh, the other, is indicated by the letters MCG. So that's so you don't want to take any sup. You don't want to take more than that a day, um, mm. and so you that that means then you wouldn't take more than the upper upper limit. Um, so yeah, that's what I would recommend. Okay. Yeah, and then iodine absolutely. So iodine is on a bell shaped curve in terms of. So let's just go. We need to. You do need. We absolutely do need iodine, and not having enough iodine is one of the big reasons why we would see a raised TSH. TSH. Why? Because at the beginning, I mentioned when we make thyroid hormone, first of all, we have blood washing over the the thyroid all of the time. So there are little symporters called the sodium iodine symporter that sit on those follicular cells and are responsible for drawing in that iodine. Okay. If there is not enough iodine in the environment, i.e. in the bloodstream, the, there, those, there is a greater expression of those sodium iodine symporters, and that actually displays as a raised TSH. So it can be a reason, that can be one reason why TSH can be high if somebody isn't repleting iodine. Mm-hmm. So... Not being replete in iodine can eventually call, display as a goiter because so you and that's that very classic swelling uh, you see in in the thyroid gland. But the opposite is true as well: is that excessive amounts of iodine, uh, overconsumption of iodine, will also cause high high levels of oxidative damage. Why? Because the ends the we've seen that iodine is needed to make thyroid hormone, but if you swamp the gland with too much iodine and you make too much thyroid hormone, then that is and you don't want too much thyroid hormone because thyroid hormone is needed by what every single cell in the body. You certainly don't want to be upregulating uh, your cardiovascular system with too much thyroid hormone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's an, an absolutely excessive amounts of, of iodine, um, would be, would, would also result in a, in a goiter. So I do test, um, and it, and the, the, uh, World Health Organization has set a limit for the recommended, the RDA of iodine, and it's 250 micrograms for, in non-pregnant it's 200 in pregnancy mm-hmm. and the most effective way to test is first morning first urine void no challenge do not do it don't no challenge you do a urine test um, and you do first morning void and it needs to be calibrated with creatinine so that it can be measured against the filtration rate by the kidneys all of the, uh, any good lab laboratory will do that and it will uh, provide the the reference range, and that's how I and that's how I'm and that's how I measure it in clinic. So, if you have already got a diagnosis of Hashimoto's thyroiditis, yeah, why might you? Why might this particular person be confused about iodine? Because there are two 
very opposing opinions and uh, and speakers on this subject. So um, Dr. Brownstein was sort of is very very pro is very very pro iodine and sort of when I was uh, at naturopathic college that was sort of very much the very much the ethos is that you mega dose iodine is that you anyone with thyroid because you, the thyroid gland needs iodine so you mega dose and he yeah uh, claims re- miraculous uh, results with that Datis Karazian, who I think you know, I have got a little bit of a mental crush on, uh, as we, we all, as we, we all don't, do, don't we all? <laughs> yeah, he is absolutely adamantly against <clears throat> the use of any iodine whatsoever in Hashimoto, and I think that is why so many people are so confused. Understandably, now I very much was in Datis's camp. And I've done all of his courses. Um, in fact, I've done his thyroid course four times because I'm just a ridiculous geek. Um, but you would always you always learn something new, right? Um, and absolute. But I have. There is, without doubt, there is the need if somebody is is deficient in iodine and they're not making enough um, thyroid hormone. And this is very, and this is always very difficult in the world of in fertility and pregnancy because it's iodine is so important for in pre- mm. infertility as well. Then dosing very, just to the state, just to the point of repletion. Uh, in very, very small doses, as long um, and you just only need to do it for probably a couple of weeks in very, very titrated small doses, just to the point of repletion. And then you can and then make sure that you're eating foods that have iodine in them is safe practice. Hmm. Never, ever, ever mega dosing iodine. And that is and that is sort of why the confusion has arisen. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. And also, sorry, I just want to also thinking about that process if you're repleting someone's iodine then you want to make sure that their antioxidant capacity that that is that they've got enough glutathione on board that you you probably that you've got some NAC that there is that those mechanisms those protect those built-in protective mechanisms are up and running and working effectively as yeah, well for sure yeah rather than and yeah yeah that's kind okay. of where I say that's that's that has has arisen. I mean, it, it like it is confusing, and I think for the average person who is dealing with thyroid complaints and maybe hasn't delved into this world yet or isn't working with a nutritional therapist already, yeah, it, it's just a minefield, and I can see how it becomes. I can see why I had hundreds and hundreds of questions Absolutely. about thyroid. And the um, other one that feeds into that is people always ask about goitrogens and yeah. and soya, and actually. What the research on soya shows, so basically the and it and it works hand in hand with iodine. So soya is not actually soya itself, it's actually a particular uh, phytochemical within soya, which is called uh, an isoflavone, is has a goitrogenic effect. What that means is it will, to a greater or lesser degree, it will block. 
that's sodium iodine symporter. So it basically blocks that iodine coming in to be able to make thyroid hormone. And there are some components that are stronger or weaker at that. So an isoflavone is, has that mechanism. So what the research shows is that consuming, if you are iodine replete, if you have the right levels of iodine, uh, and if you have Hashimoto's, the limit of you can consume 300 milligrams of soya um, a day, and it won't have a goitrogenic effect. So you can get that from uh, tempeh, from tofu, but the isoflavone content of the more fermented soy, like tempeh, is actually stronger. So that's, again, it depends on the picture. What is there? If they're, but if they're iodine depleted and having lots of soya that goes over that balance is going to have an additive effect of, of, of not being great for that individual, mm. Okay, which, which makes sense. Yeah. So if you um, say you were born without a thyroid gland. Oh, wow. Or say you had your thyroid removed had one client I worked with who had their thyroid removed and I I have a friend who was born without a thyroid. Really? Yes. Um and and they had some this particular person had questions on Instagram as well because I think they've struggled immensely to find a doctor that is getting dosages of of mm. medication right basically. So if that is the case um, you're on thyroid hormone replacement therapy. And yeah. even if that's not the case, but you have been diagnosed with, let's say, Hashimoto's, which is an underactive thyroid condition, you would be offered probably levothyroxine. Now, is that a panacea? Is that sorting out the problem? Or is there more that should and could be done? Okay, so... Levothyroxine in somebody that doesn't have a thyroid or they've had a partial thyroidectomy is absolutely necessary. It's uh, it's and it's absolutely addressing the cause because mm. the thyroid hormone, is, as you very correctly said, is needed by every single cell. It's uh, so you, you need it to survive. So, so how do you then? Sorry, Tanya, but the, just off the top of my head, how are you? How are you then making sure that your dosage is correct of levothyroxine if you haven't got that other data to go on, or is you, it just a sort of trial and error? It is trial and I mean, and that's true with all hormone medication. Different right. each individual's biochemistry. Yes, we are programmed the same, but we all have slight genetic variants and different environments that impact mm. that hardwiring mm. so but absolutely you need that hormone so now to your point if somebody has a diagnosis of Hashimoto's and I just want to slightly correct you Hashimoto's can present as hyper as well okay. it's not always hypo um so that can happen um but more it's much more commonly low thyroid function so, and in and as we've discussed, the in that situation, the now with the immune system is involved. Okay, so the immune system has generated antibodies against any of that target tissue, and then we so we have to ask the question of what 
and what in this client's environment is the most likely trigger, and it is always a number of components, that exacerbates the immune system to have a more exuberant, aberrant immune response. Mm-hmm. And that could be a whole array of array of things. They could have a high, they may have had Epstein-Barr as uh, a child, glandular fever, and then they then get another infection later in life, and that causes the Epstein-Barr to resurge, and then the immune system, it's a, they're, stressed at the time and it's the perfect storm for that to collide okay yeah. so you have to be working on the intrig the triggers continually uh, the environment and but keeping the TSH stable is really important uh, to make sure that that production line is not creating excessive amounts of oxidative damage which will further, uh, upregulate the immune system and and cause and 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 further sort of enhance enhance that. So to that point, um, and I see this a lot is people come to me and say, "I've got Hashimoto's and I I want to do this naturally. I want to come up levothyroxine," and I just say, "Why? It's a really really well placed medication. It's uh, it's a if you and if you feel well on it and you can we can stabilize that TSH." I the work that I want to do with you is to calm your immune system and keep that and keep that stable. Mm-hmm. Now some people don't do well with levothyroxine um and they do do better with armor um natural uh desiccated thyroid which is very different to a glandular which you get in supplements. So let's uh let's cover that off. So NDT, natural desiccated thyroid, which goes by the brand name of Armour and also, um, uh, what's the other one? Anyway, Armour, the name will come to Nature Throid, um, is made from, uh, is, is generally either, um, is made from glandular products of glands of uh, bovine or sometimes um, pig, porcine, um and so they have active hormones in them and they are uh, regulated through pharmacy and they are available through some GPs and some medical and some individuals do, do better on natural desiccated thyroid. There is also a medication called um, tyrosint, which is um, some people react to uh finds the chemicals in in thyro- levothyroxine they don't deal very well and tyrosine is more of a gel type capsule that they they do better with now and those sort of work those help to keep the TSH and the T4 and T3 optimal and that's really important because you don't want lots of oxidative stress what i find about a lot of glandular products that are popular in the naturopathic world is that they seem to they crash somebody's TSH they make the TSH very very low and it's very difficult to actually bring be able to bring that TSH back up 
So mm-hmm. it sort of seems it seems to completely switch off that communication between the the natural communication between the hypothalamus and the pituitary and the thyroid. Okay. Now the glandular products to be registered as a glandular product have all of the hormone component removed, so they don't they're not classified as a medicine. Um, and that could be why that they don't seem to that they have they seem to in my experience over the last ten years they seem to have much more of um of an unpredictable reaction on people's blood chemistry so i most i much prefer to work with levothyroxine with the prescriber and my role is to work at all of the triggers and the landscape and the environment to ensure that the immune system stays out of trouble mm, okay should we touch on graves in terms of presentation or just because uh, it's... Yeah, I mean, other than... So I... Graves, absolutely, and the they need to be under the, the guidance of an endocrinologist because um, and that needs to be... That definitely needs to be stabilised with, with, um, with medication, for sure. Um, many of the triggers are the same, but the present and the presentation of graves is important to note. So it's kind of the opposite of low thyroid function. So everything speeds up, but very so palpitations, heart racing, like literally like it's pumping out of your chest. Mm-hmm. Heart anxiety, sweating, uh, losing weight very, very quickly. Very quite commonly, more commonly a goiter or sort of you'll see that swelling in the neck. And the word I can, the term that I can never pronounce, but where your eyes look like you're on stalks, um, <laughs> opta, and I can't pronounce it at the moment. Um, and the antibodies, you can have positive TPO and thyroglobulin antibodies in graves, but there will also be what are called um, thyroid receptor um, or thyroid blocking antibodies that are present in, in graves disease. Mm. Okay, but again, it's it's thinking about what has led the immune system to, Correct. you know, dysfunction yes. ultimately. And actually, I'm just writing a blog on this actually, but it is, I mean, the the chemistry of stress is is just so damaging. So there are, I mean, one example of this is so when there are high levels of cortisol that causes the neurons of the prefrontal cortex to um, become less, they're less effective. So there is a slowing down of the output of the vagus nerve. So the mm-hmm. vagus nerve is the master nerve, the cranial nerve that sort of, that, that keeps our nervous system in balance. We want the, the, the vagus nerve to be firing on all cylinders because it helps to keep us in a parasympathetic rest and digest state so when we are sort of just when we are brimming with cortisol that vagal flow that output becomes diminished now one of the uh one of the many actions of that vagus output is to keep inflammatory cytokines called interleukin-6 and tnf-alpha sort of at bay it prevents immune cells from doing that so and so then so when those cells become when those 
when those communication molecules become more prevalent, they actually, um, if you like, they rev up a particular cell called a naive T cell to say, oh, I want you to go down this pathway. I want you to make much more of this, this chemical called interleukin-22. And what that does is it makes already established antibodies, they glycosylate them. They make them super angry. Mm-hmm. And that is what was that was what would present as an autoimmune flare. So, and then if we think about and all of the everything that you talk about on your wonderful podcast, anything that keeps that individual in a heightened stress response, and that could be anything from undealt tra- un- unaddressed trauma to okay, a really do I really not have to eat gluten? If if you are super sensitive to gluten and you go out and you think sod it, I'll just yeah, I'm gonna have pizza and birthday cake all weekend, and I'll get back on it on Monday. That could be enough of a flare to yeah. actually to to create that, and then if you have an, a thyroid flare, you may start to experience symptoms of that I just described as uh, for Graves' disease. You haven't got Graves' disease; you've just generated an autoimmune flare, and you've got a rush of thyroid hormone in your bloodstream, and you mm-hmm. feel anxious, and you've okay, you don't shed a load of weight in a day but you feel hyper and you feel anxiety and that butterfly feeling in your stomach. You just don't feel great. And that's, yeah. that's, that's the kind of the connection. It's, yeah. it's not black and white because the body sadly isn't and the immune system certainly isn't, but that kind of hopefully mm. sort of is a, provides a couple of aha moments. Tanya, I won't keep you too much longer because I know you're a very busy lady. But oh. you touched on gluten, and I did have one question. I've got to, I've got to um, answer it for this person. Of course. If you do have thyroid issues, must you be gluten free? Uh, I would never say must. I'm not. It's too. It's too black and white. Uh, if you have got any other side, okay, there are some fairly inexpensive gluten sensitivity testing that you can do uh there is a great one through regenerous labs i think it's about 120 pounds and it looks at a number of different of the proteins within the whole sort of gluten and it helped rainbow if you like uh, and it will help you. It will help your clinician know whether you should be avoiding whether you should be avoiding gluten. Now, what I would say is that gluten, or properly termed gliadin, is a very very complex molecule. So the body has to do an awful lot of work to break that down. It's like a long pearl necklace, and it needs to be broken down into individual beads so that it's not provocative to the immune system. Mm-hmm. So if that very long necklace is not broken down into those individual beads, then the immune system on one day, it might think, okay, I'll let that go. But let's just say if it's on a day where, or it's in an individual where, then the gut microbiome is not, is dysbiotic, that their digestive enzymes are not working properly, that they have got another autoimmune condition or they are going through a divorce and their mental and emotional stresses. All of these things, it's like about it's a seesaw that there is a proverbial trigger mm-hmm. that breaks the camel's back. So 
I would say in general, if you've got an autoimmune condition, gluten is a food that I I do ask clients to remove um, because it is very provocative to the immune system. And really, it is far easier now than it was 10 10 years ago to make to sort of to make alternatives Mm. um now yeah and 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 it is all on a spectrum so I'm afraid I I can't give a complete black and white answer but it really is it really is dependent on what else is going on in the terrain I look at other markers on a on someone's blood chemistry um to help sort of me to help me sort of be guided through that but one thing I would say and finish up on is in fact and I had this sort of study just here which I wanted to specifically share was that there was a study that it was only it was a small study that included so 34 women with autoimmune with with Hashimoto's and they were divided into two groups uh one the first one complied complied with a gluten-free diet for six months the remaining didn't have any dietary treatment at all and the gluten-free diet, their antibodies, both TPO and thyroglobulin, um, reduced, and their 25-hydroxyvitamin D increased mm. um, when they retested. Fascinating. So, yeah. So there you go. I like that you called it provocative. I'm going to use that. Provocative gluten. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, it is provocative because it's a very long kind of complicated chain so it's yeah. provocative yeah have we is there anything else that we've have we missed anything you feel I like is glaring so. um, um to let to let the good podcast listeners know i feel like that's been very comprehensive okay i'm, um, I'm just checking over obviously if anyone does have any further questions tanya is readily available on all social media platforms and I would encourage you to follow her on Instagram because aside from being very knowledgeable you're also very funny Tanya (laughs) (laughs) oh well I did always want to be on the stage so no (laughs) and um I get a lot of joy from from watching your reels and and various other things um so where where can people find you so um, mine just google my name so I have I'm on Instagram and at Tanya Borowski and Facebook although no one uses that these days <laughs> um if you want me to be on TikTok I'm being pushed to do that so if you think I've that's... said categorically no I will never okay well then I'm yeah I will never go on TikTok. I think I'm too old to go on TikTok and my website is my website is where I put all of my blogs so there's lots and lots of information on okay. my website tanyaborowski.com and, and if they're interested in working with you, head to your website. Presumably. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been lovely. See, let's do it again. Good luck. Thank you so much again for tuning in to State of Mind. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Tanya. Do let us know via Instagram if you had any further questions and I will talk to you all again soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.